0: What a lovely reading that is. If you want a day of darkness and gloom, Joel chapter 1 is just the sort of reading you want. If we're not met, uh, let me have my welcome. My name is Matt. Um, let me lead us in prayer, uh, and then we'll look at Joel 1 together. Our great God and Father, these are not the words we would choose to read uh, on a Sunday morning in church. These are not most obviously the words that we think will cheer us up, but they are the words that we need. And Father, thank you that in your goodness, you don't just give us what we desire, you give us what we need. So therefore, we plead, give us hearts to respond to your spirit as he is at work, bringing us these words so that we love you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, can you recognize a warning when it comes to you uh, in different sort of Environments, different settings. So, I grew up uh, where I grew up was uh, mostly farmland, and um, whenever we'd go for a walk, you'd always be walking through farmers' fields, and lots of them are dairy, so you'd be walking through fields of cows. That's all right, cows don't faze me. Uh, when we go walking now as a family, and my, my wife walks around cows, but it's all right, you know, with the, um, we're, we're learning, we're learning. And um, cows are not anything really to be scared of, unless if a cow is looking at you and pouring then you sort of step away, you look it in the eye, and you just walk away from it. If it's pouring and lowers its head, then it's going to charge you, okay? you just got to know that. As long as you know that, if cows are just sort of looking at you, don't worry about it. If they're pouring, be a bit more concerned. If they're lowering their head and just showing you the ears, run. Um, that's just, and if they've got horns, really run, because um, they're bulls or bullocks and they hurt. Okay, that's just a warning. you just got to know how to see the signs. Okay. Now, something's a bit more serious, of more dramatic uh, action coming. You know, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You'll know this. Before Mount Vesuvius erupted and destroyed Pompeii, lots of warnings as the ground cracked and gas starts emerging and lots of streams and rivers are drying up and everyone goes, "Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then there's a fireworks display it starts beginning and they go, oh, this is marvelous. But they didn't know how to read the signs, which is within 24 hours they will be dead because they hadn't run. You've got to know how to read the signs. You've got to know how to, how to understand uh, a warning. Joel chapter one is a warning. It describes a real event in the life of Israel, an invasion of locusts, devastating. But God says to them, this has devastated you. It is the warning. Worse is coming. Do you understand how to read these signs? Do you understand what's coming next? We're spending this month, then, uh, just four weeks, then, in the uh, little book of Joel. And it is, it is an urgent warning, That the day of the Lord is coming. So we had it five times in the book, three times we had it today. Chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for that day, the day of the Lord is near. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my hill, let all here live in the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming. And at the end of our reading, chapter 2, verse 11. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? The day is coming actually when you work your way through the book of joel there are there are actually a number of days so there is a day of locusts devastating but that's just the that's just the warning for israel that the day of their judgment the day capital letters is about to come and by the time you get to chapter 3 you realize actually what joel is talking about is something beyond warning for israel he's talking about the end of the world block capitals the day of the Lord's return, the ultimate day of judgment. But the day is coming. Now, broadly, there's two halves to the book. Chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 17 is the bulk of the warnings. Uh, And then chapter 2, 18 to the end is, uh, there's a mixture. Uh, There's promises alongside the warnings. So we're in the bleakest section, just so you know, uh, after uh, this morning. Now, one thing you can't get away from in the book of Joel is that he asserts that there is a day in history when God will judge all the nations of the world and every individual. You just can't avoid that. Now, I think for many, you think, well, I'm not persuaded by that. Uh, I'm not sure I like that. We'll have to keep returning to this in later weeks, but let me just at this moment say... I'd want to persuade you that deep down all of us do want a day of justice to come. Now we might disagree on our definitions of how, but we do want a day to be a day of justice. Otherwise, let's just take one example. Uh, uh, Robert Mugabe, finally forced to retire after decades of brutal treatment of his fellow men. But where's he retired to? He's retired to luxury. If anything ails him, well, he goes to the great healthcare in Singapore. Spent a couple of months there before Christmas in Singapore getting wonderful healthcare. I mean, none of his people can afford it. The healthcare system is a disaster. Back home, he wouldn't go anywhere near it. But he's all right. Where is justice? He's forced to retire but to live in luxury. Well, do that to me, I don't mind actually. Forced me to retire in luxury, I'd endure that. But where's the justice? That's okay. And most of us think I'd like him to get his comeuppance. For the sake of a nation, for the sake of people he's killed, families he's destroyed, that man needs justice. And the Bible says it will come, it will come. There is a day coming. Let's uh, just break it down this morning then, two halves. Uh, as I say chapter 2:17, uh, excuse me, chapter 1 verse 1 to 2:17 of are the, are the warnings. That's where we are today. We're going to look at it in two halves that mourn for the day of locusts has come. That's an event in history. Uh, chapter 1 really verses 2 to 14 and then repent. Joel warns them a day the day of the Lord is near. The day of locusts is a warning of the day that will come. So first, they mourn, mourn, they're told to do, for the day of locusts has come. Uh, Chapter 1, which is verses 2 to 14. Now, what are we told about Joel? 1-1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethiel, that's it, that's all we know about Joel, his dad's name. Uh, When is this? We don't know. Uh, There's clearly a temple, so it's not during exile, Uh, maybe 800 BC, maybe 500 BC, actually we don't know. And I think that's obviously must be deliberate. There's something timeless about the warning here. Unlike all other prophets, he's not placed in the reign of a certain king, so you know when he's speaking. Must be deliberate. But what's he saying, verse two? He says, look, here is an unprecedented event. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or the days of your ancestors? no. Nothing like this has ever happened before, this destruction. Verse 3, tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children. Let the children to the next generation. You get the idea. What actually has taken place? Well, there's been a plague of locusts. Well, the locust swarm has left. The great locusts have eaten. Well, the great locusts have left. The young locusts have eaten. what well, the young locusts have left. The other locusts have eaten. Well, okay. There are four different words for locust. There, there are actually nine words for locusts in the, in the Old Testament. Now, what does that tell you? Well, if a culture, if a language has lots of words for one thing, they're kind of obsessed by it. You know so there's 20 words in the Eskimo language for snow. It's just snow. Oh no, it's not just snow. it's. Uh, and you think, "Well, that's pretty yeah, snow is a big deal uh, if you're an Eskimo. I mean, even in English, you think in the U.K., we have quite a lot of words for rain. <laughs> it's going to rain. What sort of rain? Just a drizzle, which will give way to a light drizzle, which will give way to misty rain. And then they'll combine and they will be mizzle. Uh, and it'll be heavy rain or thunderous rain or torrential rain. And we have all sorts of different words to describe rain, which kind of says something about Brits and uh, need to avoid the rain. We all know that. When a culture has nine words for locusts, oh, it's a big deal. This is what they fear. This is what their nightmares are full of, that the locusts come. I half wondered about showing it, given our tech this morning, glad I didn't. But um, uh, you can go online. There's some great planet Earth footage of David Attenborough talking about locust plagues. <laughs> it is one of the most breathtaking sights on all of planet Earth. You think, yeah, not if you're in the way of it. Not if all your crops are about... I mean, it's quite impressive to watch on a screen, but if, you're, if your life is about to be destroyed, not one of the most impressive. Uh, but anyway, here's some stats that David Attenborough tells me. That if a female lays eggs in June, if one female lays eggs in June, she can have up to 18 million of her own descendants by October. That's how they spread. That is fertility. A plan, uh, the locust plague, certainly the one they filmed, was several billion strong... It was 40 miles wide, and every single locust can eat its body weight in a day. Well, the Israelites knew that, and in Joel, this locust storm is devastating. There are these waves, four waves of locusts, and everything is gone. It's all gone. What is Israel to do? Well, verses 5 to 14, there are 17 things they're told to do, 17 imperatives, but and some of them are repeated. You get the idea. Verse 5, wake up, verse 5, wail, verse 8, mourn, verse 11, despair, verse 11, grieve. That's what you're to do, that's entirely appropriate. When your livelihoods have been devastated, everything's gone. So verse 5, entertainment is gone. Drunkards is a bit of an aggressive translation. It's literally just drinkers. Wake up, you drinkers, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Well, because the new wine's been snatched from your lips. Hey, nothing to drink. You can't go and drown your sorrows, because there is nothing for you. Time for you to sober up and face reality. You can't just drink the cares away and live in denial. No, all sorts of any entertainment there is gone. You can just stop being saturated with pleasure, sober up. See how the locusts are described, verse six and seven. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty armor without number. Teeth of a lion. Well, you zoom in on a close-up? Yeah. It has laid waste my vines, ruined my fig trees. Notice just tangentially, there's no pleasure in this for the Lord. So it's my land, he says, verse 7 my vines, my fig trees. Israel, this is the land I gave you, and I've given it to you, my people, and you're being. I have no pleasure in this, but I am trying to wake you up. Entertainment has gone. Religion has gone, I, I guess, is really the point, verse. 9, there are no no grain offerings, no drink offerings. They're cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. They can't bring and offer any sacrifices that they're meant to do. The normal religious mechanisms are bust because there's nothing. Verse 11, there's no work either. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve. The wheat, the barley, the harvest of the fields is destroyed, the vine is dried up, the fig trees withered. There's nothing. No wine, no figs, no pomegranates, no apples, there's nothing to eat. And so, end of verse 12, surely the people's joy is withered away. What a horrible phrase. Have you ever known that Emotionally? You're like a cut flower. You just think at the moment, there's just no, there's nothing. There's just nothing to give me pleasure. I look out, I wake up, and everything is bleak. I just feel joy is just withering. That's their experience, he says. Now, let me just clarify one, one or two things here. This is unique for Israel, in the promised land. This is not just a natural disaster that has come upon them. Uh, We won't have them on the screen, but uh, in Deuteronomy 28, uh, the Lord has told Israel of all the curses that come upon them if they don't obey him, such as uh, Deuteronomy 28. I'll just read a couple of them. You're so much seed in the field, your harvest little, because locusts will devour it. "'Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees "'and the crops of your land. "'They'll leave you with no grain, no wine, no olive oil "'until you're ruined.'" So God had said to Israel, look, I'm putting you into a promised land, uh, and you need to trust me. You need to love me, not other gods. But if you don't, okay, well, you will suffer. I'll allow you to suffer. I will bring suffering upon you so you realize, what are we doing? This is nuts. This is crazy. Now, that is unique for Israel. And so it's entirely appropriate that they should, verse 13, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Well, you minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth. That's entirely appropriate for Israel, that they should, verse 14, cry out to the Lord. Now, let me be clear. For you and for me, God never draws that straight line. So for you and for me, he never says, oh, If life goes wrong, if disaster comes, and you have nothing, you cannot say that's because of your behavior, that something has gone wrong. You cannot draw that line. Israel, Old Testament, that line is drawn very clearly. For you, you can't draw that line and say, life goes wrong, it's because you've gone wrong. No, life goes wrong because life goes wrong, because you live in a fallen world. You can't draw that as a straight line so you can't say a disaster has come upon us, that's due to our disobedience. You can't say flooding in Cornwall, well, that's because they're the most evil county in the UK. That's why they get the floods. You, tornado in Texas, that's because they're odd in Texas. You can't say that. You can't draw the straight line in that way. But, but the question for you and me is, what do we do with Warnings. when when life goes wrong when locusts strip your crops or when unemployment strips your finances or illness strips your health what do you do then? what do you do when disaster comes upon you? well you go to the Lord you say I've got nowhere to go but you writer C.S. Lewis. It's probably his most famous line on suffering. A man who could talk about it, I guess. He'd lost his mom as a kid. Uh, He'd been emotionally abandoned by his dad, brought up himself, essentially. He'd fought in the horrors of the First World War and seen life in the trenches, being permanently damaged, injured in them. He'd buried his wife at a young age. Uh, He'd known suffering. Famously observed, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That is what is happening here, Joel 1. God says to Israel, he actually tells them, I've sent the locust plague to wake you up. Life is miserable right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake up, mourn, grieve, despair, throw yourself upon me. Know that I am the only source of life for you. What do we do when disaster comes? And so it's a warning. Mourn for the day of locusts has come. And so the application really becomes in the second half repent because the day, the day of the Lord, it's near. It's coming very near. So you get chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Because this is what locusts. That's what it is, it's an alarm. That's not the wheels completely falling off everything this morning. (laughs) It's an alarm. This locust plague is an alarm. So chapter 1, verse 15, alas for that day, alas because of the day of the locusts, but also because the day of the Lord is near to you not necessarily in a clock sense, a chronological sense, but the the God's judgment, final judgment upon you, Israel, it's near in the sense it's a near thing. You know, you drive near a car and almost have a crash. Oh, that was a near thing. It didn't actually happen. It was a near thing. Look, the day of the Lord is near to you. What are you going to do, Israel? A more calamitous, a more serious day is near. Oh, the locusts have come upon you but worse is to come. What are we going to do, Israel? Look, 16 to 20, that's what has happened. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness has been cut off from the house of God. Oh, it's... Oh, miserable, the seeds are shriveled beneath the clods, the storehouses in ruins, the granary is broken down, the grain has dried up, the cattle moan, they've got nothing to eat, the herds mill about, they've got no pleasure, even the flocks of the sheep are suffering, they're all going to die. What do we do? Verse 19, to you, Lord, I call, to you, nowhere else to go, but to you, Lord. Because more worse is coming. So chapter 2, verse 1, get it. This is just the alarm. Worse is coming. Because what's going to happen, 2, verse 1, let all who live in the land tremble for the day. A more significant day, a more severe day. The day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes. Is that a real army? I don't think so. I think he's just going to take the language of locusts and make it worse. So look at the metaphor language, or or the similes rather. Verse 4, they have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble. Like a mighty army drawn up for battle. Joel is saying, the locusts that have destroyed everything, like that, but worse. Much worse. Like a military operation, they're going to come through. And actually, this time, it is more more severe. They destroyed all the crops in your fields. Now they're going to come into your houses and destroy you. So, verse 7 they charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other, each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city, they run along the wall, they climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. You can't shut your windows now, you can't just hunker down. This day is going to come right into you. More severe. Of course, you might cry out in the midst of disaster, well, where is God? Well, here's the answer, verse 11. It's perhaps the most terrifying thing of all. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. Oh, this is not happening despite God. He's doing it. He's in charge of it. He's leading it. Because he will judge his people God says to Israel, Look, I've sent a plague of locusts against you to wake you up. Will you return to me before the day of judgment comes upon you? Israel, you can avoid it. Verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. We'll think of that more next week. But chapter 1, verse 1 to 2 11, it's an alarm. Question, Israel, what will you do? The question, therefore, for you and me is, well, let me break it into two questions. What, what will we do? So question one, I think, for you and for me is, what do we do when setback comes? Disaster. If you're not a Christian, uh, the most fundamental thing you're meant to do in Joel chapter one and two is say, oh, help you meant to say, chapter one, verse 19, Lord, I turn to you. Chapter two, verse 12, I I want to return to you. I I I can see that at some point there is a day of judgment and not explicit here, but the whole Bible's answer is you, you return to the Lord by trusting that Jesus has taken this day of darkness by accepting that there was a day of darkness and gloom in the first century when Jesus took all punishment that's due for you. You can read everything in this chapter and a half and say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you were stripped back. Thank you that you had your joy withered away so that I ultimately in heaven don't. This is the fundamental thing. For those of us who are Christians, I guess this returning to the Lord, calling out to the Lord is meant to be a daily habit. And sometimes times of setback, sometimes times of stripping back, stripping away, the Lord will allow them to come upon us so we return to Him. So we don't we stop drinking to numb ourselves. We stop inuring ourselves with pleasure in this world and say, oh, uh, there is more significant spiritual realities, a day of judgment's coming, and I, I, I need to live my life with that in mind, with that horizon in view. It's not the same, <clears throat> but in a small way, a small echo in one sense, just speaking personally, uh, look, at the beginning of the week, what do you realize, golly, church finances, wow, okay, uh, 10K a month, drops away in giving from January, 90K of the, oh golly, we've never had it that bad before. What was my experience? What was my emotional life like during the course of this week? Not particularly edifying, if the truth be told. Bewilderment, frustration, irritation. Thinking, what are we going to do? All sorts of things, of course. But in the end, when setback comes, you say, To you, O Lord, I call. Oh, we are all in your, it is all your work. Everything is in your hands. Everything is pretty feeble and fragile, actually. So reading, Joel, did me much good. May not be the crops, but the bank account is drying up. What do you do? To you, O Lord, I call to you. It's all your work. But personally, then what are you going to do when there's setback in life? Illness, anxiety? To you, O oh Lord. I've done nothing wrong, particularly, but I now recognize once again I'm completely in your hands. To you, O oh Lord, I cry out. That'd be the first question. What do we do when setback comes? A second question, I guess, will be: have have we warned others? In the language of chapter one, verse three, have you told your children? Have you told the next generation? Let me finish, let me put it in these terms. Some will know this. Uh, The Andaman and Nicobar Islands are off uh, Indonesia. They're Indian, actually Indian-owned, but they're just a set of islands off the coast of Indonesia. Uh, One of the Andaman Islands is inhabited by a remote tribe, the Mohan tribe. They're the only people on one, I think, North Andaman. On 8 a.m. on the 26th of December 2004, on their island, the ground shook and all the cicadas stopped singing. And the elders of the people said, run. Run for the hills. Run. And they did. It's a patriarchal culture. The elders say, you do it. They ran. What the elders knew, there hadn't been any earthquake in the region for 400 years. But the elders knew what it meant. They shouted, Laboon is coming. The wave that eats men is coming. Run for the hills. So they did. Of course, what they called Laboon was um, the Boxing Day tsunami that went off just outside Sumatra. Their island was hit with several waves, walls of water 30 meters high. Everything was destroyed. No one died. I mean, 200,000 plus people died in the tsunami. You recall that tragedy of Boxing Day. But none of the Mohan tribe died, because the elders said Laboon is coming. Bear in mind, there hadn't been anything like it for 400 years, but the elders had told their children who told the next generation, who told the next generation, when the cicadas stop singing, when the ground stops start shaking, Laboon is coming, run for the hills. You see, no one said in their culture, well, it hasn't happened for centuries, I wouldn't worry about it. And for those of us who are Christians, it's no good saying, well, Jesus hasn't returned, don't worry about it. In the 21st century, we have all sorts of coping mechanisms, don't worry about it. He might make your life a little bit better. No, we need to be a little bit more like the Moan. Tell the next generation, tell others around us, the day is coming. Are you ready for the day? It will come. Oh, it hasn't happened for centuries. No, no. I know. It is coming. Run. Run to Jesus Christ. Let him take darkness. Let the ground be shaking beneath him as he dies. Run to him. All these setbacks, they're just fire alarms. Ahead of the day. The Lord is saying... Run. Run to Jesus. If you're a Christian, run. Remember, he's your only place of refuge. Run to him. Let me lead us in prayer. To you, O Lord, I call. Father, we uh, again thank you. You are not a God who is silent. You are not a God who leaves us in ignorance. You are a God who gives us all that we need, and that includes warnings to make sure we are right before you. Father, you're so kind that there there are moments in life we've stopped listening, really, to your warnings, the warnings of the scripture, so you allow us to endure adversity, setback, disaster even, so that we may say, oh, to you, O Lord, we cry. You are the Lord and there is no other. We thank and praise you that there is a place of refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do want to praise you in his name. Amen.